Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. This is Sarah Perry, and welcome back to Haven Space. Today, we are kind of doing a recon mission and coming back to speak to Rudy Sanzibar. Uh, he is the person that was creating those amazing dildos that we talked about. But a year later, the pandemic has really changed things for him. So, Rudy, thanks for coming back. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, yes, thank you for having me back. Hi, everybody. I'm Rudy Sanzibar of RCC Creations and My Pet Monster Girl. And uh, I'm an artist, a body painter, and a costumer. So anything in the world of costuming and makeup. And like the really nifty special effects stuff. Yes. So uh, special effects, prosthetics, mold making, uh, casting. Um, and then I'm also a, uh, I guess in the last two or three years, have started doing uh, adult content. So filming and producing adult content that's very niche uh, in the body paint and special effects world. Okay, so just to give people a quick recap. Basically, last time we spoke, and correct me if there's anything that you wanna add, we talked about how the pandemic has really made you focus into how to create money without doing events. And that correct. led to helping people with their own content on things like OnlyFans and then creating your own OnlyFans so that people could actually follow your content from many different people, right? Very Correct. different models. And then you started making dildos because there's no way you could have a bunch of pet monster girls getting fucked by just regular looking penises, right? Correct. Um, <laughs> correct. So I got into the, uh, the toy business as well, which helped out surviving uh, COVID. Yes. Or uh, 2020. 2020, because who knows when COVID will actually be under control. Yeah. But... And then that led to a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Including actually starting to film small segments of porn for these people's subscription-only sites. Correct. So it it, it became uh, it once I got once I got so 2020 changed everything when it came to business for me. I was no longer doing event entertainment because the event industry was closed. So I focused more on my adult content series and really amped it up. So once I got into OnlyFans, it opened new doors and new opportunities. And I met a whole lot of uh, new uh, performers in the adult industry, sex workers, uh, people that kind of everyday uh, lives, but were doing OnlyFans to survive 2020. And then it started getting into uh, different types of scenes that not only was that I was uh, filming, for my content, but I was also helping other people film for their content. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And really, 2020, I think, was the year, the culmination of symbiotic relationships, especially when yes. it comes to sex industry and when it comes to adult industry, when really getting together was no longer an option. So even prostitution, dancing, like those types of things just absolutely couldn't happen. No, no, they couldn't. Right. So... How do you, I want to know everything. I want to know what have you learned? What, what is your biggest takeaway from that idea that you could just move on from the world the way it was and then start creating content in ways that are super creative and pretty innovative? Um, you know, it was, um, it felt really awesome. It, it was great. 
for the last 10 or so years I've been in event entertainment and I've focused so much on event, event entertainment that myself as an artist, I, I wasn't growing at the speed that I should have been, I suppose, because I was focused so much on the money making and the, on, in that industry that, but it was the same things repetitive, you know, give me a cheetah, give me a zebra. Can we just get glamour makeup? Can you just do a Cirque style airbrushed costume? And then once I started doing this, I realized that I am an artist and that there are different avenues for me to make money. And on top of that, uh, I was starting to find, you know, at last find my own style when it came to art um, and being able to focus on everything that I've learned since I went to school for makeup and doing it all in one project. And it was, it was my own. I could call it that that's my own artwork. It wasn't anybody telling me, Oh, I would rather have this. It was, it was all me. So as an artist that felt really good. And then as an artist, it felt great to be able to, I'm not rich by any means, uh, <laughs> but to be able to make a little bit of an income and, and, and watching it grow because of my art felt really good. So did the models that came and volunteered or that wanted to do like an exchange of services, did they just say, do whatever you want? Did you really get like blank slate? Yes. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of the models at the beginning were models that I had worked with before friends that, um, I had worked with on other projects. So they knew, I explained kind of what the series was. So they were just, the only thing that really I, um, I kind of discuss with people is do you want something cutesy, uh, kawaii, uh, you know, creepy cute, or do you want something dark monstrous? And then from there, we just, it's a blank slate and I can get to do whatever I want. Um, you know, there are some limitations. Sometimes I have to switch up a design on a, you know, discuss something. I might have a design in mind for one model, but because of prosthetics and glue and whatnot, or their obligations the next day, we may, we may have to switch it because they're either allergic to the adhesives or they have, uh, a, a shoot the next day. And I don't want them to have to try to pick off adhesive or any residue off of them, uh, for the next day. So we, we, you know, that's the only time where it's kind of, it changes. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, but that's art, right? Like every project you're going to have to kind of tailor to the situation. You mentioned on something that brought something up for me. When you say cutesy dark and then as opposed to something monstrous, your clientele is still looking for sexual erotic content, right? Correct. Correct. So the, the, the niche of it is, is, or the novelty is that the models, it's, they're doing, they're posing they're filming or they're being filmed doing content that you would find like maybe on Pornhub or OnlyFans or Cam, you know, Cam site. Mm -hmm. But the novelty is that they are in cosplay and monster makeup. So how do you reconcile what becomes sexy when you're looking at something monstrous? I've seen some of your stuff and I'll actually share a link to some of it where it was literally faceless people. And the idea of removing facial expressions from a really erotic sexual thing that is charged with erotic energy in a very different way than porn is because porn is like here are your genitals penis and vagina you know and you're creating a different type of art that is still communicating erotica 
embodied in a very different way. So how do you come up with that when you're creating this and thinking like this is sexy because of this? Do you have, is there a pull that is telling you this is how this is going to be seen as erotic? It is, you know, I grew up being inspired by artists that, you know, their, their genre of art was making monsters and, uh, and a lot of them were very sexualized, very sleek monsters. And, you know, I took that as growing up, I was like, oh, that's really, that's really awesome. I'm attracted to that Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, that artwork, but then that person in that makeup, I find attractive. So, you know, growing up, realizing that there is a market for that. And sometimes, you know, when it comes to um, like some of the, like the ones that you were saying that they're kind of faceless in the pictures and in the, the video, it is a lot about body language because there's no expression on the face. So they have to, you know, when, when someone can make an expression on their face, when they're doing adult content, you know, that's part of it. But when you take that away, they have to do a lot of body language to take those emotions and then express them, you know, through the positions of their limbs and their, and you know, how they arch their back and, and how they react to stimuli. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think um, I just did part of what my kind of last couple of months have been on the podcast have been about each specific body part fetish. And you find those little things that we don't realize are actually sexy that are that are communicating arousal to everyone. It's just some people have managed to notice them so much that it becomes fetishized. But really, we're all communicating in different ways, the way we move our body, and then it turns into something really sexual at the it, end. It is, it is uh, it's new. So when I first started, I was taking the pictures. I didn't really, I didn't really know, because I wasn't a photographer, I didn't really know how to kind of pose anyone. I was so used to when I did photo shoots, I would do the makeup and then I'd be like, peace out, uh, send me the photos when you can. So now when it was on to me, like my first set of pictures, I relied a lot on the models to kind of tell me. And it was it, sometimes it was kind of difficult because a lot of the models weren't models. Yeah. So some of my earlier work, it's just kind of a little bit everywhere. And now going further into it, I know that like in each shoot, I have to get a couple of feet pictures a couple of ass pictures, a couple of like hands, hands near the neck, because I've gotten requests for their, you know, people are like, do you have any pictures of where like the, the model's neck is stretched out or, or something maybe with their dirty feet? And I'm just like, uh, yeah, totally. Sure. Why I don't not? know. <laughs> um, so you also mentioned, so yes, you're now doing like posing health. That's one thing I was going to ask about. Cause I could see how as a character, because I have modeled, but when you're a, a different character, you're not really sure how to communicate those same things unless someone on the outside is telling you, oh, this is coming across this way and not. Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I have a lot of models that once, you know, they're, they're really excited to do the, the photo shoot and everything. But, you know, once they start getting, once they start seeing the change, um, they sometimes are a little uncertain of how they should be, I guess, What character they should be, how they should portray the character that they're becoming, Mm -hmm. Um, and it is it is one of those things that um, it's really cool to watch. I have one model that's been with me for two years, 
And when she first started out, she'd never modeled before. And now, and so it took a lot longer for us to do uh, poses uh, because she wasn't uh, very comfortable with some of the things that like, cause she, she'd be like, I don't know if I can um, uh, portray powerful or meek or something. And now she busts them out like really quick and the photo shoots like, oh, and then we're done. And we're like, that was awesome. But uh, I had a model probably a um, couple of months ago, four months ago, who's very um, tomboyish. Um, they're not super masculine. They're not super feminine. And the first design that I did on them was very masculine. And at first they had no idea what, what they were supposed to be doing because the feminine poses that they thought they should be doing weren't working. So I kind of told them, you know, this character, very powerful, you know, warrior type. And then I put a mirror in front of them. I showed them some of the pictures we were taking and they were like, okay, so I can be extremely masculine with this character. I'm like, yes. And then the next one that we did was super feminine. Uh, it was uh, kind of in that bimbo genre mm -hmm. that, you know, people, they do they have a fetish for. And we had to go through a few poses for them to go, oh, okay, got it. So over the top, super slutty, super bimbo, club girl. And I was like, yes. So it, it's really cool to watch one model on two different yeah. uh, ends of the spectrum. I could I could imagine that that's like extremely cathartic in certain ways. So I, I did a shoot um, with actually the girl who introduced me to you online, uh, Anthem and Art. She is amazing, but she does a lot of like cool creative shoots. And we did a, a drag shoot where she decked me out like a guy in a guy suit. And we probably spent two hours discussing the way a man moves, um, the way a man holds his hands. Uh, a, a male model, you know, moves very different from a female model, mm -hmm. I, I guess, in the traditional sense. Yeah. Um, I've had. A couple of male models and it, the first one it took me a long time for us to figure out what to do because I I predominantly work with female models so posing a male model at first was very difficult for me because I had no idea mm. and I also had no idea from my point of view how to pose a male model that would look sexy yeah you know I Working in the entertainment industry, I know like when a body boy on stage, I'm like, oh, that guy's a sexy man. That's a handsome man, very attractive. Mm -hmm. But then putting makeup on someone, on a, on a male, yeah. and then posing them, I'm just like, I have no idea if that's sexy or not. But then as, as time went on, I was like, okay, cool. I, I know exactly how to pose men and how to make it so it looks sexy. Yeah. Do you find that there is more of a market for, I mean, do you get to see who your subscribers are? Sort of. Um, my subscribers, I kind of are a little all over the place mm -hmm. when it comes to, um, some of them are fans that I've known for years. Uh, some of them are new fans that contact me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So I know who they are and other people remain, remain anonymous. There's no, you know, subscribers have a generic number next to them. And there are people that put their real name and then other people that you put a username. 
Yeah. Um, so it's it's a weird combination of some people I know, some people I'm surprised because I'm like, oh wow, thank you for subscribing. I didn't know that you would be into this, and uh, and a lot of mystery people. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious to see if we could find a way to kind of break down demographics and see who is into this type of thing. Um, that would be, that'd be great for me too. I know. <laughs> well, you know how to market. I, I guarantee there's some kind of tool and if OnlyFans doesn't have one, they're working on it to help us. But um, as far as like research, I think that'd be really nifty. I'm yeah. really interested in this idea that I hadn't had come up before of being attracted to the character, which is what I conceptualized, but additionally being attracted to the person who is willing to get in character as two separate entities that are equally attractive. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, <laughs> yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I'll, I'll, I'll give the, I'll, so the first one is there are times where, oh man, it's going to sound terrible. <laughs> Um, Nothing sounds terrible in an accepting world. There are times where I have a model that wants to work with me and I, I'd love to work with them. And their, their human appearance is like, okay, uh, they're human, whatever. Cool. Mm -hmm. But I see the potential of what I can turn them into. Yes. And there have been a couple of models that, you know, they don't do makeup. They're, you know, they're very, they're like, "Ah, I don't do makeup. I really don't do my hair. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. But once I do their makeup and I do their, you know, wigs and wardrobe, they're completely someone else, completely someone else. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm way attracted to that Character. That, that monster that I just yeah. made. <laughs> I have no attraction to my friend. <laughs> right. And But then the other one is, is you know, during, during COVID, or during COVID, uh, during 2020, um, I feel like in the history books, it's going to say 2018, 2019, COVID, 2021. <laughs> um, Probably. That during 2020, I was seeing someone briefly that I was involved with them. And they were also a content creator mm -hmm. and we did content together. So they were, you know, on the, in the outside world, you know, we would see each other uh, for a couple, you know, we, we'd seen each other. So that was our personas. It was, yeah. you know me just as an artist, them just as a person model. But then I did, I had made them and turned them into so many monsters. And I realized that they were a different person and each monster uh, version of themselves. Like every time I turned them into a monster, it was a different person, even though they had similar traits and movements, they start to embody those characters and I realized that I was becoming attracted to a different person when they were in makeup than I was the person that I was seeing outside of makeup. Yeah, I can see that. There's also, um, I guess the closest way I could relate it to is in the community of like the furry community. Yeah. The attraction is not to the furry costume. It's to the anonymity, right? To the idea that someone is willing to just relax and be playful and certainly it assumes some characteristics of their personality that can translate to someone who's really passionate and kind and you know yeah. jovial um there was uh there was a a model that i 
at the beginning when I first started um, that out of makeup, they were very introverted and were very insecure and unsure, uh, uh, I guess, uh, about themselves and how they looked and their movement, you know, what they posed like. But then when I turned them into monsters and I put their makeup on, they completely changed into someone else and they were outgoing. They, they had no problem with any type of posing or any sort of like they were, un, they were very sure of how they were supposed to do everything. And there was this confidence and it, it was, it was a, it was a, it was, it was interesting to watch someone do that. And I even asked them what it was about and they felt more comfortable in monster makeup than they did in their own skin. Yeah. Well, and certainly you're creating a new identity. So what is this identity and body? And it could be something totally different than what you embody. I actually, my oldest is like that. She's on stage and she's in makeup. She's a different person than who she is every day when she's dressed, even if she's not on the stage, if she's like getting ready, she's just a different, I can tell like, Oh, well, you're going to have to be in show business. Cause otherwise you can't live with both sides of yourself. <laughs> um, you mentioned, and one of the reasons that I wanted to have this kind of follow-up chat is that you mentioned that you don't want to hire guys or have guys come in who have not had any experience. Yes. Do and that sounds, that? you know, and I've thought a lot about it. Sometimes I feel like it, it comes off like gatekeeping or, um, Sometimes and honestly, sometimes it, it, I, I feel like I remind myself of when I started makeup and in the industry of movies, you had to be in the union to be on a film. Mm -hmm. But the only way to be on a film was to be in the union. And there was like, well, then how do I get into the union? If, you know, so it was yeah. it was a crazy, you know, so when I tell people, hey, look, it, you know, I'm very picky about the male talent and. To date, I think I've only had three or four, three or four males. Now, three males that have worked out, um, and they were they were males that had already started doing adult content either for themselves or for selling their content. Mm -hmm. So, and you know. One of them I'd known for years. We had worked alongside each other in the circus industry. Uh, so I trusted him and, and his partner. The other gentleman uh, was vetted through references from photographers and his own partner who had modeled for me. And the third was a client of mine that I had worked with for years. And when they found out that I was doing a lot of content, that's when they opened up and said, I do that as well. I would love to be a part of this. I can send you references and examples of my work. And it, it is really, um, it's nice when someone can be professional about it and right. have that and say, I have references. Uh, I have examples of my work. It just like any other, I guess, um, industry, yeah. you want a resume, but I do get a lot of, just like a lot of the, a lot of female content creators, I get requests in my side inbox on social media where guys are crass and, and that is, and yeah. they're just like, if you ever need a stunt cock or if you never, ever need like a, a, a guy to come in and, and, you know, fuck those girls for you. And I, it just, 
it's crass and it's unprofessional and and it's unkind it, say what now and it's unkind yes yeah and the more I've gotten into this, the, the more I've gotten into this industry and this world, I've started to see the other side of men that female performers, female content creators see. And it is, uh, it's, it's gross. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and because I do this as a profession now, and this is, you know, a majority of my income, it is insulting when someone talks to me that way because not only am I being protective of, of me as a business, but I'm being protective of the performers that work for me because then I feel like this person's statement, this person's message is also insulting of the performers. Absolutely. Um, and I've had to approach, uh, you know, one or two friends uh, in the last 12 months who made a comment like that. And I go, Hey, no, that's, that's not cool because it is, it is insulting. Um, I had a performer of a friend, uh, start talking to one of the models that I work with and he expressed to them, you know, Rudy should be using, uh, him and another guy that I know should be using us in his videos as male talent because we go way back and and we should be allowed to choose who we get to fuck. Wow. And that it made her uncomfortable. Of course. And if she had if I had not had a friendship with her, that could have easily uh, you Destroyed know that professional relationship. Yeah. Yeah, completely, but she she approached me and she said, "Hey, this is what happened. I have some screenshots I want to show you." And once I had those and read them, I went livid and I had to, you know, give myself a day or two to calm down to figure out exactly how to say what I was going to say. And I approached, I approached this person and I let them know, I'm like, Hey, that's not appropriate. That like, if you want to hit on whoever you want to, that's, that's on you. However you want to hit on someone, but do not bring me, my friend, our friendship or my business into it because that could affect the way I do things and the way I make my income. And on top of that, it could affect my friendships and my professional relationships with the models and content creators that I work with. I want to say that I commend you. Um, I have, because I'm like super avidly feminist on social media, and I have a lot of people, um, I have only straight cisgendered white men defend all men when women start conversations about Me Too. And... It's for a reason, right? Like the, the world has told them that they are being, that they are under attack over and over and over. And um, what it really takes is men to hold other men accountable for those conversations. Because this, what we see as like regular bathroom talk very much translates into the way women are treated every day in every work. I mean, I do sex coaching, you can't, and, and I'm going to be doing somatic sex coaching, which is like hands-on, but you have no idea how many people are like, yeah, I want a sex partner to try shit out with. And I'm like, mm, that's not somatic.